saints. Life is this. This is what life is. God showing you that Christ is all you need and Christ is all you got at the end of the day. That's life. Christ is all you need. Christ is all you got at the end of the day. So I hope you all are doing well this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Colossians. We're going to begin a new sermon series today. I hope you like the new worship guide. Me and the staff and working on it all summer, so I hope you like it. Is that a real laugh or just a courtesy laugh? Now, that's a real one. The 2016 Olympics, you know, wrapped up three weeks ago. And the world, you know, had a chance to watch some of the best athletes compete against each other with the hopes of being crowned the best in their particular sport. In my opinion, it was, you know, a great Olympics. It gave us a final look at two athletes who, who were participating in their final Olympics, two of them. And these two athletes are currently the GOAT in their particular sport. Michael Phelps, he's the GOAT of men's swimming. Usain Bolt is the GOAT of men's track and field. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself. Why is Pastor Alex calling these men GOATs? Why is he doing that? I'm not talking about an animal. You see, the GOAT is an acronym for greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. You see, every sport has a GOAT. Every sport, football, basketball, golf, all of them have someone who is the greatest of all time. Even in certain careers, there's a GOAT. Music industry, movie industry, business. Someone we look to for the standard, the greatest of all time. And when it comes to faith, when it comes to growing in faith, and when it comes to being made right with God, there is also a goat. There is also a greatest of all time. And this morning we're going to begin a new series in the book of Colossians. For in this book, the Apostle Paul is going to show us that when it comes to faith, when it comes to growing in our faith, and when it comes to what makes a person right with God, there is only one goat. That is Jesus. He is by far the greatest of all time. But do we believe it? And do we as his people submit to that? So if you have your Bible, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for, and the love you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this hope you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed into the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved brother, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we come to the preaching of your word, we desperately need your Spirit to move in us. 
We need him to move in our hearts so that we in our hearts so that we can understand your word. We don't understand anything in your word apart from the movement of your spirit. We do not. If we don't understand, that means the spirit is not moving. So, Holy Spirit, you are our counselor. You are the helper sent by Christ to help his people, to help his saints. And so we are, if we have faith in Christ, we are part of that. We are part of his body. And as part of his body, we need to learn more of him. We need to love him more. We need to draw closer to him. None of us are as close to Christ as we think we are. None of us are. I don't care how much we know. I don't care how long we've been believers. We still can grow closer. We still can grow closer. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw us closer. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. When pastors and church leaders um, get together, there's one question that's bound to come up at some point during this gathering. This this question gives pastors and leaders uh, a chance to give a report on what is taking place in their various churches. And this is the question. How are things going at your church? How are things going at the village church? It's an innocent question on the surface. It's an invitation for me or any other pastor to give a report on how things are going within our local body. Now, but sometimes there's something else underneath this question. Underneath this question. Some people ask this question because they want to know one particular report, and that is your attendance report. You know, how many bottoms you actually have sitting in your pews each week. They really aren't interested in the spiritual health of your congregation, but your budget and the heads that come in every week. See, in the book before us, a church leader gives a report. Epaphras, he's a church leader, and he brings a report to Paul and some other leaders, and and he reports to them on how things are going in in the church at Colossae. And this is a church that he planted when he converted to the Christian faith. And he converted to the faith during Paul's third missionary journey in Ephesus. And afterwards, he, took, he takes the gospel to the town of Colossae, and the church at Colossae is born out of his labors. And now sometimes later, sometime later, it could be months, it could be years later, he reconnects with Paul while Paul is in Rome. And, Paul, and during this time, Paul is in chains. He's locked up in Rome. And so Epaphras travels there, and he reconnects with Paul, and he gives Paul this church report. He answers the question, how are things going at the church? At Colossae, in the letter before us is Paul's response to this church report. And he writes this letter with his own hands. That's what he says at the end of the letter. And after he finishes it, he gives it to two brothers to to take the letter to the congregation. And they do. And when they take it to the congregation, the church gathers together, kind of like where you are today. And they listen to these words from a man they never met face to face. Paul has never been to Colossae. He's never been to this church. And the believers here have never seen him face to face. But now for the first time they get to hear a letter. A letter from him addressed to them. They're going to hear Paul encourage them in their faith. They're going to hear him say that when it comes to their faith, when it comes to them growing in their faith, and when it comes to them being made right with God, there is but one goat, and it's the gospel, saints. The gospel, the greatest of all time. But do you believe it, that it's the greatest? 
But do you, as people who are Christian, do you believe it? That the gospel, and what the gospel communicates, that it's the greatest of all time. And if you don't believe it, how can you expect a dying world to believe it? So what did the Epaphras actually report to Paul? What did he tell Paul about this church? How does he answer the question, how are things going at the church? You see, he doesn't report about budgets. He doesn't talk about the attendance numbers, buildings, and programs. He reports on the spiritual well-being. He reports on the spiritual health of the congregation. He tells Paul about their faith and, and about their love, about their spiritual health. And, and when Paul hears this news, he is moved to thanksgiving to God. He praises God for it. We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we um, pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and since we heard of your love for all the saints. What do you think about that? He's not talking about quiet times. He's not talking about where all the things that they're doing. He's, he's talking about faith and he's talking about love. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about their initial faith. The initial faith that they had when they first came to believe. Epaphras didn't bring Paul a report of testimony stories. That's not what he brought them. That's not what he brought to the church. Paul already knows they are believers. He already knows they have come to faith. And this is clear in the greeting in verses 1 and 2 to the saints and, and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, to be in Christ means one is already a believer. It means one already has saving faith. So Paul isn't thanking God for their initial faith. He's thanking God for that post-conversion faith, the faith that they have after they come to Christ, a saving faith that, that is working itself out in their life. They don't have a dead faith. They have a faith that's working in them. Post-conversion faith means they continue to trust Jesus. They continue to rely on Jesus. They continue to rest in Jesus. They continue to depend on Jesus. They continue to believe in him as their Savior. You don't come to faith and all of a sudden, I no longer have to trust Jesus. You continue to trust him. And this post-conversion faith also means they are living under the Lordship of Christ. It also means that. He says in verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian today, one who has faith in Jesus, that means Jesus is your Savior and Jesus is your Lord. You can't be in him and only one of those be true. You can't be in him and say, well, he's my Savior but he's not really my Lord. If you're in him, if you claim to be in him, he's also your Lord. He said, what does that mean, he's my Lord? It means he's your daddy. That's what it means. It means he's your boss. That's what it means. It means he has all authority over you. That's what it means. Now, see, we love Jesus the Savior. We love him. We love him. But Jesus the Lord, we have a hard time. Because Jesus the Lord makes claims on our life, claims on our stuff, claims on our money, 
claims on our time. Jesus the Savior, we love him. It's like building the bear Jesus. That's what he is. He cuddles with me. He's there with me. But he does not make demands on my life. But he does make demands on your life. And if you're in him, he does. You see, kids have a wonderful imagination. They do. It's funny at times. It's frustrating at times. It's even a little delusional at times. And, and there's one delusional imagination a lot of kids actually believe is real. It's what I call make-believe ownership. Make-believe ownership. And make-believe ownership comes out when kids use first-person pronouns about certain things. That's right, kids. I give you Jesus and grammar lessons. Kids say things like, my room, my TV, my toys, my cell phone, my video games, my tablet, my goldfish, my Cheerios. You see, when my kids drift into this make-believe ownership, I drift into a song by uh, Soul to Soul called Back to Life, Back to Reality. Because I asked them, what did you actually pay for in this house that makes you think you own anything? Now, I love asking my kids that question. It's fun until God turns the tables on me. And I'm the kid, and he's the parent asking the question. It's no longer fun. You see, all of us, as believers, have delusional imagination when it comes to the things we think we own. We have make-believe ownership when it comes to our time, when it comes to our material possessions, when it comes to our money, because we think it all belongs to us because we work hard for it. It's mine. It's mine. And Jesus only helped a little bit. We might not say that, but that's how we function. That's how we live. And soon and very soon, Jesus is going to drift in singing that same song, Back to Life, Back to Reality. Because there's nothing in your life that you have that he hasn't claimed dominion over. Every part of your existence, Jesus has said, is mine. He is the only one that can name it, claim it, and it's true. And he has named and claimed everything you think you own. Down to the shoes on your feet or the sandals on your feet. They all belong to Jesus. Because if he hasn't blessed you, you would not have what you have. You wouldn't. You wouldn't have what you have. So when he says all authority in Matthew 28 has been given to me, he wasn't lying. He was telling the truth. And all authority means all authority over your life. Every inch of it. You see, post-conversion faith means you're growing and resting in Jesus as your Savior, and you're growing and learning to submit to him as your Lord. And that's the struggle for us as believers, submitting to the Lordship of Christ in our life. Can't be in him and only one of those be true. This is what Paul is thanking God for in the life of the Colossians. They have, they have a living and active faith and they have a living and active love. Why? What's the reason um, behind this? What's the reason behind all these things? It's the gospel. That's the reason. He thanks God for their love. He says, since we heard of your love for all the saints, this is a agape love that they have for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So he says they have a growing faith in Jesus, and they also have a growing love for other believers, going hand in hand. 
They're loving in deed and truth. They're not just giving, saying, I love you. It's showing up in their actions. It's showing up. They're serving one another. They're walking alongside one another, keeping short accounts with one another, bearing with one another's burdens. They're functioning in community together. Paul says they don't just have love. They say they have love for one another. That means they have a deep affection and connection and unity with one another. They're, they're, they're experiencing the blessedness of the communion of saints. And some of us, in our time, we don't really value the communion of saints. Being with other believers. In this, and I, I believe it in this country, it's because we're so individualistic. We think it's just us and Jesus. No, it's you, Jesus, and every other believer. It ain't just you and Jesus on the island. He brought you into a family. He brought you into a community. He didn't just save you and say, you just go out and function alone. He brought you into a body. And to be part of that body is a blessedness. It's wonderful. It's for your own spiritual health. My family and others from our church went to, we traveled to St. Louis, uh, Missouri, uh, last weekend for a conference called the LDR. And the LDR stands for Leadership Development Resource. And this is a, a Presbyterian Church America minority-led conference. And it's a wonderful picture of what the PCA can be because you have diversity there. All gathered there. And the worship was wonderful, wonderful. And it's a diverse community where we celebrate and enjoy and delight in our diverse presence because that reflects the manifold wisdom of God. And in the saints at Colossae, they are delighting in the presence of other saints. They're not just tolerating each other. They enjoy being together. That's what it means to have love for one another. You enjoy each other's presence. That doesn't mean you're not going to get on each other's nerves. It doesn't mean I'm not going to get on your nerves. That doesn't mean you're not going to get on my nerves. You will. I accept that. We're not living in utopia here. But I still can enjoy your presence despite your issues and my issues. What about us? Do we enjoy the communion of saints that the God is building here? a cross-cultural, cross-ethnic community that he's building here within our body. Do we enjoy that? Do we delight in being with one another? Or do we just tolerate each other? You see, what has been produced in Colossians and what has been produced in our church is what Paul uh, says in, in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, only faith working through love. Faith working through love. Love. That's what's been produced here. That's what's been produced in this church, in Colossae. Faith is working through love. And that's an active living faith and an active living love. Again, what's the reason behind that? What's motivating them to have this active faith and active love? What's spurring them along? What's pressing them forward? I'm sure it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. What keeps them moving forward? Despite the issue, despite the same struggles, we cannot have a romanticized view of the first century church as if they didn't struggle with the same things we struggle with. They do. They did just like us. None of this stuff is new. They had the same issue. Why do you think Paul wrote all the letters? They didn't have any issues. They don't need to write no letters. They had issues. The reason that they can do this is not found in themselves. It's not because they have it all together. It's not because they're super spiritual. 
Not because they're Presbyterian or Baptist or Church of Christ or Seventh-day Adventist. It it's not because of that. Not because they have some, sort, some high status in, in the Colossian society. The reason is outside of them. It, it, the reason actually given to them apart from them trying to earn it. They didn't have to hustle for it. didn't have to scheme for it. They simply had to receive it. And Paul knows the reason. He knows why they can continue to grow in Christ and love and in faith. He knows what's motivating them to do it. And he leads them to that in order for them to be reminded that this is the reason why you can grow in Christ. This is the reason why you can grow in having love for one another. What he says, he says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Christ Jesus when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Their active faith, their active love, their heaviness, their livingness because of what's laid up for them in glory. Hope is the reason. And this hope is not wishful thinking. Look, I'm hoping Georgia Bulldogs win the national championship. I hope that every year. And guess what? That hope has not grew at all. I'm still disappointed. I'm still waiting on that. And I might not ever have it. The hope that he's talking about is a guaranteed hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's going to come to pass. It's a permanent hope that Paul writes to them about. It's not a generic hope. It's not a knockoff. It's not bootleg. It's, it's not copy and paste. It's original. It's one of a kind hope. It's Christian hope. Do you know what your Christian hope is if you know Christ today? It's that joyful, confident expectation of eternal blessedness that's going to come to all the saints of God. It's waiting for us. That's the hope that we're looking to, what we're going to be when Christ returns. Romans 8, Paul says, we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's what he's talking about. The things that they're hoping for and what we hope for is our future glory. Is that just pie in the sky or is it real? Do you hope for these things? The hope of the new heavens and the new earth. Paul tells them that these things they hope for is laid up for them in heaven and they're laid up for us as well. The eternal blessings in Christ are things that, that are going to come to us eventually. And people who have faith in Christ, they are the ones who have these eternal blessings waiting for them in glory. They are the ones who actually even experience some of these things now. So if you have faith in Christ, that means you have an eternal blessing care package waiting for you in heaven. Waiting for you. With your name on it. And one day... You will have it. One day you will be able to name and claim it fully. And until then, you experience some of these blessings now, but they will always be incomplete. You're not going to get the full meal on this side of glory. You taste the meal. That's what you get, a taste. And that taste makes you long for it more. This life is not as good as it gets. There's more to come. More to look forward to as believers. 
And Paul says, it's laid up for you. It means it's stored away for you. It's stored away for you, locked away for you. It's kept secure for you. And it's there waiting for you to get there to pick it up. And that means there is not a hack, hacker in the world that can hack into this system and steal your blessings that's coming for you. There ain't a thief that's going to be able to steal what's waiting for you in Christ because it's in heaven being kept for you in Jesus. And that's what we long for as Christians. But do you believe it? Does it motivate you? The eternal blessings is the reason why the Colossians are have an active faith and an active love. It motivates them to continue to press on because they know that their life here is not the end. They know where they're moving toward. Do you know where you're moving toward? Do you know where you're headed? So that means if you're living in this hope, when November comes, you should have nothing to be afraid of. When Christians say, I'm afraid of what's going to happen in November, well, you ain't trusting Jesus. Where is Jesus going to be when the, at the end of the year? The same place he's always been, on the throne, still doing what Jesus does. He's not going to be less of a God if your candidate don't win. If you think the world's falling apart, then you, you, you need to go do business with Jesus. There's something about Jesus you don't understand. If he can handle what Adam and Eve done, he can handle this. And he is doing it. He is taking care of his business. The gospel is going forward. And we as people, we got to know that our hope is something that gives us power and motivation to persevere. But do we function that way? Our current culture, they don't, they don't think much of our uh, Christian hope. Some of us, some think our hope is a sign of weakness. Some think it's an excuse for us to remain silent when we, when we see injustices happening in the world. That we just don't say anything. See, I, I don't believe our hope is weakness. I don't believe it's us trying to escape from reality. I don't believe it's us turning a blind eye to injustice and the evilness and the brokenness of the world. It's not us trying to create a doomsday shelter where we just outweigh the dangers in the world. I don't believe that. I believe our hope, if we're living out of it, motivates us to step into the dangers of the world because we're taking the gospel there. That's what I believe. Karen Ellis, she's married to a friend of mine, she wrote a blog this summer called Protect the Power of Eternal Hope. She speaks out against our culture's view of the Christian eternal hope, and she challenges believers to, to protect this hope. She writes, our faith in things hoped for and unseen is one of the greatest weapons in our storehouse. Christians have a duty to protect the eternal hope. The sweet by and by is not a psychological pacifier, as our culture preaches. It's a guarantee that God has sworn by himself to fulfill. Our hope of eternal blessings is a guarantee that God has sworn by himself to fulfill on behalf of his people. How do we know this? How do the saints at Colossae know this? It's in the title of the sermon, people. It's the gospel saints. It's the gospel saints. That's how we know. Because of the hope laid up for you of this you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. This isn't, new, this isn't new information that Paul is bringing the Colossians people. He's not giving them new revelations from God. This is something that they've already heard. 
You see, faith, love, and hope, all these things are connected to the gospel. And he calls the gospel the word of the truth, the word, the truth. And so when it comes to faith, please hear me. When it comes to growing in your faith, when it comes to having all your sins paid for, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to freedom from shame and guilt, when it comes to healing of your brokenness, there is but one goal. It's the gospel. It's the greatest of all time. And if you don't believe that, you're not going to share it. If you don't believe it in your own life, then when it comes to people having all their sins cleansed, there's only one goat that can do that, and that's the gospel. That's the gospel. There's no other way that people can be made right with God. They can't work for it. There's no other religion they can go to to make them right with God. It's only through what Christ has done for them on the cross. It's the greatest of all time for a reason. And we as God's people, if we don't believe this, how can we share it? When it comes to your peace, when it comes to comfort, when it comes to justice and and restoration and and, and all these things, it's the gospel. The gospel stands over our sin like Muhammad Ali stood over Sonny Liston when he knocked him out. That's what our gospel does to our sin. It knocks it out. It was TKO'd on the cross. It's dot down, one, two, three, four, five, seven, nine, ten. It ain't getting up. That's the power of the gospel. That all your sins, and when Christ died for you, he said he knocked all your sins out. And the ones that you're struggling with, it knocks those out too. That's what the blood can do. It can do what you can't do. It paid the price for all your sins, past present, future. The ones you're struggling with now, the ones you're going to struggle with when you leave here, the ones you're going to struggle with this week. They all was nailed to that old rugged cross. Paid for. That's hope. That's truth. That's gospel. But do we believe it? Do you believe it? The gospel offers forgiveness. It offers peace. It offers freedom. That's what it offers. It's the champ. It's the champ. Undefeated. Undefeated. Now, growing up, I used to, I used to watch WWE growing up because I used to love watching The Rock and, and all those uh, fighters. And so one of the things The Rock used to say is, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? And so can you smell what the gospel is cooking? Can you smell it? It's forgiveness. Grace. Peace. Love, acceptance, forgiveness, restoration, hope, love. That's what the gospel is cooking. Do you smell it? And do you live in it? Do you eat of it? Is it in your life? Paul tells the Corinthians that in verse 6 that the gospel comes to them and it's coming into the whole world and it's doing so and it's doing so with power. That the gospel doesn't go forth powerless. He said it's bearing fruit of itself and it's growing in their life and it's growing in the world. It means other people are coming to to believe in it, to receive in it. And he reinforces what God says in Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and do not return but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the soil and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. That's God's word, the gospel. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. 
And the gospel is accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent. And it was sent to bring sinful people to a holy God, to make them right with a holy God. And it's doing that because the Spirit is taking it forth. And it's happening in your life. It bears fruit in your life. And so when you come to faith in Christ, you don't put the gospel on the bookshelf. You don't say the gospel is for my family member who don't know Jesus. The gospel is for my neighbor who don't know Jesus. The gospel is for this person and that person. No, the gospel is still for you. You don't ever separate yourself from the gospel. It's on you. It's with you forever. Because the gospel that saved you and brought you into the kingdom, the same gospel that allows you to grow. Same gospel that stays with you to the end. The gospel produces growth and maturity in the faith. Love, faith, and hope. Those are the things that the gospel is producing in the life of all believers. And so the invitation today, if you don't know Christ, will you come? And if you do know Christ, you need to stay. Stay with the greatest of all time. You don't ever get away from needing more of him. The invitation is for you to come and to surrender. And that's what Christ says in in Matthew 11. He says, come to me all who labor, heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. That verse is for the lost and that verse is for the believer as well. You can still come to him. Take your burdens to him. Take your anxieties to him. And if you've never done that, the invitation is for you. You can search the world up and down. And you are never going to find that what makes you right with God apart from Christ. The world will tell you this will do it. The world will tell you there are many ways to the Father. The world will say you can do this. That you cannot, your goodness cannot outweigh your sin. The only way to be made right with him is to come to the greatest of all time. Because he has done for you what no one else in all the creation would do for you. He died for his enemies. That's why he's the greatest of all time. He died for his enemies. Not for his friends. Not for his homeboys. Not for his crew. Not for his entourage. He died for men and women who would abandon him. He died for men and women who would yell, crucify him. That's who he died for. He died for sinners, like me and like you. And that same grace, that same goodness, we offer that same message to other people. Come to the goat. Come to the grace of all time and have all your sins forgiven. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel for what it means in our life. That so often we think that we've been Christians for so long that maybe we don't need it anymore. That somehow there's something else that we need to do to to make us grow. No, Lord, it's always Christ. It's always his finished work. And so for our local body, I pray that you will help us to have an active faith and an active love and an active hope that is real, that's all rooted And what Christ has done for us on the cross, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And I pray, Lord, that you encourage us. I pray as we step out 
in one more week that you will be with us and be with our families. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.